This is the Banana Data Podcast, a podcast hosted by Data IQ. I'm Trevaney. And I'm Chris. And in our bi-weekly episodes, we'll discuss the good, the great, and the ugly of AI. If you're craving even more, check out our 15-minute Banana Bites discussions on Data IQ's LinkedIn and Twitter every Wednesday at 2 p.m. EST. Today, we're tackling The Social Dilemma, a new documentary on the harms and potential of social networking, giving our perspective on data commodification, accountability, and how we can be responsible and effective creators. Hey, Chris. Hey, Trevaney, what's up? So we've got to talk about the thing that everybody's talking about, but we haven't talked about yet. The thing. I'm talking about the movie, the hottest movie on Netflix these days. Which is what my uh, streaming and listeners of RuPaul's Drag Race, like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about The Social Dilemma, right? This is uh, the movie, <laughs> docu-movie that came out pretty recently, a couple months ago. And in it, you know, they discuss basically the commoditization of social networks and how that's affected everything we do, like literally everything we do. So I wanted to talk about that because it's not only on top of mind for a lot of people like you and me, non-data folks are talking about it. My mother sent me a link and was like, have you seen this? It's so good. And I literally had to tell her, mom, this is what I do for Mm -hmm. a living. (laughs) Do you not pay attention to our conversations when we talk? So I think it'd be great to just kind of hash it out and talk about what we thought about it, what we thought about some of those takeaways, not really a movie review, but a Mm -hmm. content chat. I really enjoyed the movie just as a way to kind of get some of these juices flowing on on ideas that we're embedded in with our day-to-day social media and obviously being data practitioners ourselves. But yeah, it definitely brought to light some considerations that I really never thought about before, even being in this space day-to-day. Yeah, I think that's a good point. There was a lot for even the data scientists, the data, the data folks to learn from. So what was something that really shocked you? Yeah, you know, I think really early on in the uh, in the movie, they discussed this idea that social media is not really selling a product. Even though there's ads all over the place, it's really not the ads that are being sold. It's the human beings who are using the social media platforms that are truly the product. And that was a groundbreaking moment to me. Yeah, that guy says, like, if you're not buying something, then you are the product. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a lot of arguments that... Facebook and Twitter and all these other social media sites, we're producing free content for them all the time. That content itself actually is used then to to build profit for these companies without our consent. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this before where the terms and conditions that we just scroll past and check a box, technically they're allowed to do what they're doing. But I think most people and probably the vast majority aren't really overtly aware of what's actually going on with their data and what they're clicking on and how they're yeah. using the platform. Yeah. And it's presented in such a positive way, right? That we're able to connect with family and friends so much easier across the globe, which is really great. It has really great benefits in that regard. But at the same time, there is this underlying sort of murkiness and sleaziness to uh, how our data is being used to sell product. I thought it was so interesting. It was a little cheesy, but It was also really like a good way to visualize what's actually happening when these algorithms are working, right? So, okay, you don't have three people talking to each other, but it is a lot of code and a lot of like back and forth between, okay, we see an engagement with the phone on this send, and now we know that now's a good time to send an ad. Who wants the ad? Oh, let's bid and get that. And like, I actually thought that was a really good way to bring 
the process to screen and make it really clear just how connected and how integrated all of these different parts of the social network and advertisement industry are. are. Yeah, I too thought that that was a really good personification of what these machine learning algorithms are doing. And it was another insightful moment where I think during the movie, somebody asked a question and one of the uh, fictitious gentlemen representing the algorithms like didn't have an answer and it was kind of confused. And I think that it's speaking towards the fact that computers and algorithms are essentially dumb. You know, they do what we tell them to do and they don't really question it. So the algorithm itself is not necessarily malicious for what it's doing, but it's the people who maybe code that up that may have the malicious intent for the deployment of that algorithm. Yeah, and we kind of talked about this on one of our last bites about our chatbots evil or whatever. Well, so no, the technology behind a chatbot isn't evil. It's that how it's deployed is is the problem. And I think it's interesting because like all the people interviewed in this film, they, I think we're trying to make an argument that when we started, we didn't have malicious intent or we didn't realize what we were going to be doing. And then it very quickly got out of hand. And even though they hadn't coded up these algorithms to be malicious or anything like that, it ended up kind of turning into a very problematic situation. So, you know, in some ways I get that they are coming in and saying, we didn't actually mean for this to happen, but it did. And so (laughs) I think like they have to be held accountable for that. I think at one point, one of the gentlemen that spoke was the co-founder of the like button on Facebook. And, you know, I'm I'm not going to question the the truthfulness behind the statement, but it sounded like the impetus behind the like button was just joy, spreading joy among, you know, the social media universe. And, you know, when somebody tells you they like something, it gives you this rush of joy. And I still think that that's true to this day, right? Everybody who posts something on social media wants to get lots of likes and put it out there into the world. But now it's become kind of an addiction. So maybe the starting of this was meant for a good use, but there's eventually this tipping point where it became something that it wasn't intended for. And you're right. I think that we should hold each other accountable for the way in which this evolved over time. What's interesting about that like button situation is that in the moment, you know, it seems like it's a wonderful thing we're going to be doing. We're spreading joy and and whatever. But at some point, it takes it takes a downward turn. And we don't really know that until it's almost too late. Do you think that there were like early warning signs that these developers should have been looking out for to maybe head some of this off? Or is it one of those you have to, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty kind of things? If I were to take a stab in the dark, I really do think that it's more hindsight is twenty twenty. I think it's much easier to see when somebody explains it to you. Like refreshing your social media is just like pulling a slot machine and it's an addiction like gambling. You're taking a chance for something really positive that happens every so often. And most of the time you don't really get that much reward. That makes so much sense to me. But when you're in the moment, when I'm refreshing my, you know, Instagram feed or something like that, I don't really realize that that's happening even after watching this movie. Of course, it's it's not the greatest of scenarios, but it's somehow it's harder to identify something when you're in the midst of it. That's fair. You know, I remember early on in, I guess I should say early on in the Facebook years, but around 2014, 15, I remember actually studies were starting to come out that said social media actually made people feel more isolated. It actually led to people feeling worse about themselves. And even like young teenagers and preteens were getting a lot of like, 
depression and anxiety because of the social media. And so, you know, researchers knew about this early on. And one of the main critiques of this film is that they actually don't talk to any of the people who have been really active and prominent in this space around misuse of AI, misuse of social media. And these are folks who have been raising the alarm bells for a really long time. Right. So here's the irony of the situation. For those types of studies to kind of get popularized, I wish they would have gone viral on social (laughs) media. So I think it's pretty clear that The Social Dilemma makes a point that we are the product on social media. But I think it would be interesting, Trevaney, if you helped explain to me a little bit more in detail the commodification of human beings and their data in the social media space. In English, please. Let me take the example of Instagram. In Instagram, I log in. I start uploading photos. I start liking people's pictures, following others, this, that, and the other. Instagram is able to take the data from my usage, as well as maybe my geolocation or things I add about myself in my profile, like my age or whether or not I'm married, and use that data to create a series of algorithms to predict what do I think I need in my life right now. So for example, I adopted a dog about six months ago. Right around that time when I was looking at a lot of puppy photos on Instagram and looking up lots of uh, shelters and all of that, I actually started getting ads for different products that you can buy for your dog. I want to say like within a week of bringing home my, my dog, I started getting a ton of ads about like this puppy feature or this puppy toy or this or that. And in fact, that became a commodity My data usage became a commodity that Instagram was able to sell to advertisers and business owners to say, look, here's a prime person to sell your product to. Give us money. We'll give them an ad about your product. They'll click on your product and you'll make a profit. And so it's one of those very like simple feedback loops where as I provide more information about myself and more usage patterns to the social media network, it's able to then in turn make that a commodity it can sell out to other businesses. Well, thank you for explaining that in English. One thing that's really frustrating is that we can say that now we look back and know that there was a problem, but there were people sounding the alarm at the time, people who weren't brought into the film at all, and even people who were brought into the film, like the gentleman from Google, who said that he sent out this giant email and this great conversation started, but then nothing happened. Well, why did nothing happen? Why didn't he follow up? Why didn't he push? I think that's frustrating for me because like I'm by nature the kind of person who would push for certain things, um, as many of my colleagues know. But to know that you're doing something really wrong or to feel that something's really wrong and that to not actually take a stance, it just, it strikes me as like really odd that they wouldn't have made that effort to actually get it going. Yeah, it is a little bit disconcerting that if you really do feel passionately about something, I think the the gentleman mentioned that he would go home after a long day of work and work on this presentation for hours and then go back in and, and, and revise. And, and once it was sent and it, and it got a lot of attention and it fizzled out, there was no follow-up. And it speaks towards the amount of, of accountability that all these individuals have. I think one thing that we should consider is how to make an environment that encourages people to speak up in these cases where they're sounding the alarm bells and it seems like it's falling on deaf ears. But if if that's encouraged, it's more so the case or the perspective that that will be listened to. There's something to be said about elevating the voices that have been doing 
a lot of this work, not even just in terms of like sounding alarm bells, also like bringing forward ways to address a lot of the issues around AI and how it's affecting our day-to-day and how it's hurting people. Again, I wish the film had taken the time and effort to reach out to those people as well. And in, in case you're curious, there's a, a list of books that were recommended to read after watching the movie. And so we'll put those into the show notes for you. And a lot of those authors are people who have been talking about these issues for years and are now like getting attention because of this movie. But like, I think about the accountability aspect and, you know, you want to have an environment that makes it easy for people to speak up. But I also think a lot of people are afraid of, well, I can speak up, but I don't have a solution. Right. And Mm -hmm. like, you don't want to just be critical without offering some sort of way out. So I I get that. But at the same time, like, if you know that it's going to be such a big deal, why aren't you actually forcing people to sit down and come up and think about solutions? Yeah. And I I think perfection shouldn't be the blocker to progress. So I think saying something obviously is, you know, part of the equation, but doing something is a necessary counter to that. And, you know, you may not have the perfect solution where you know every single step that needs to happen, but even just brainstorming smaller steps towards progress is important or just ideating or brainstorming around different scenarios that would work in some cases and maybe not others is still progress because it's getting those ideas out there. Yeah, I think that like the grassroots sort of movements and these ideas can be really influential in helping leaders in the industry and leaders in the space create better mechanisms that happen a little bit more top down. But even beyond that, right? Like if we want to talk about accountability, the individual accountability of folks who now know that this thing is really like social media can be really dangerous and, you know, persistent. I thought it was so funny that these guys who have created all these algorithms and like created all of these like addictive things themselves don't let their children have social media. Don't let their children have their phones in their room after 10. Or the inventor of the YouTube recommendation algorithm was like, oh yeah, you can get a blocker on Chrome that will block that for you. You know, they know what to do or like they they realize the extent of it. But then again, what are they doing about it beyond just for themselves? Well, I think a first step is participating, obviously, in this movie, in this documentary to, to get the word out there. But if they're going to have these standards for their family, if they're going to have these standards for themselves, clearly they're aware of this danger and they're protecting those that they care about the most. And theoretically, we should be protecting everybody from this danger. A major point that is sort of missing from the movie, they talk about like, oh, here's what you can do to stop the addiction and like put your phone down and all these things. But there's not enough discussion around what are we going to do moving forward? Like, what is this industry going to do? It really feels like at the end, the onus comes back to us individual users. Like, but again, not like, hey, we should probably change our approach. The movie definitely discussed the fact that Facebook and Twitter and other platforms are going back and looking at some of these issues that have occurred and taking action to retroactively try to fix the problem. But I think that that's very much helpful, but it's kind of like putting a Band-Aid on a wound. The onus is not necessarily just on the companies, but also us as as, uh, grassroots individuals to make sure that we're proactively making these platforms more responsible in general. It's good that they're going back and addressing 
these issues. But like you said, it's a, it's a Band-Aid, right? It's addressing the symptom and not the cause. And the cause really is the prioritization of monetary benefit over responsible and well-built AI systems. And if that is a priority built in from the beginning of your, your journey, we're starting a new product line, we're starting a new sort of aspect to our platform, whatever. If that sense of we don't want to repeat mistakes of the past, we don't want to create unintended harms, if that's built into your thought process as you design and execute, that's going to be much more effective than six years later being like, oops, we messed up. Let's go back and like delete a bunch of stuff. And there were a few calls to action within the movie, especially towards the end of like, what can we do now to try and combat the issues that are prevalent among the space? And I think one of them had to do with the spread of misinformation and how fake news travels six times faster than real news. You know, one of the recommendations was trying to purposefully expose yourself to, quote unquote, the other side or maybe follow people or ingest posts that you typically would not necessarily agree with just to see what the conversation is like from the other side. I think that's a a good recommendation in general, right? We should be always pushing our own boundaries and trying to learn more. But I think what happens is that we push those boundaries and then we get a little scared about what we see and we immediately retreat back to our corners because it's much easier to do so. I don't think it's just on the individual user to make sure they're getting a variety of voices in their news feeds, but really the the builders and developers themselves making that choice to create more responsible products. And that doesn't have to come at the expense of money, right, or of gain. You can still make profit or make products that are profitable without creating division. And we saw that in the early days of Facebook, the early days of Instagram. But they've kind of taken themselves down a route where it seems like those two things are at opposite ends. And I don't think that has to be the case. Before we head out, it's time for the AI pioneer of the show. Today's pioneer is Ruha Benjamin, a associate professor of African-American studies at Princeton University and the founder of the Ida B. Wells Just Data Lab. She's the author of the well-known book, Race After Technology, a highly recommended reading for anyone looking to learn more about just data in today's world. That's all we've got today in the world of banana data. We'll be back with another podcast in two weeks. But subscribe to the Banana Data newsletter to read these articles and more like them. And we've got links for all the articles we discussed today in the show notes below. Until next time.